You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs>
In this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, the Panther Tracker is back. We got Gavin Lippius on the podcast, and we are talking about leopard hunting in South Africa. We're going to break down the different types of leopard hunting that they do over there, and we are going to wrap this thing all up in a nice, neat package, put a big bow on the top of it, and close it out with leopard hunting with hounds. Don't be tempted to sit back and say, wait, I don't hunt leopards. Not very many of us do. So don't fall for that. I'll tell you why you need to listen to this one all the way through, why you need to tune into this. The challenges we face every day on social media, in legislative halls, in fish and wildlife meetings is because we don't know how to talk about hunting and what we do. Hey folks, if you don't believe me, I want you to do this right now. I'm going to ask the question, and after I ask it, then you push pause and you say it out loud. Most of you are in your truck, so you're by yourself anyway. You pick your nose and do all kinds of other stuff while you're in there, and you don't care about that. So don't be embarrassed about doing this. When I ask the question, you push pause, and then you verbally, out loud, answer this question. Why do you hunt with hounds? All right, so you push pause, you're back. How did you do? Were you articulate? Would you feel comfortable talking to your legislator if he asked you that question? You walk up to him in the store, you go to a meeting, he point blank asks you or she asks you, why do you hunt with hounds? Are you prepared to answer that question? Well, we are going to talk about that very thing in this podcast. It doesn't matter whether you're a leopard hunter or not. It doesn't matter if you're chasing field mice out there with a, with a, with a mixed up mutt. This is a question that we all need to be able to answer on the spot when we are asked. I'm sure that most of us have never thought about it. I know that I really didn't really start thinking about this until I started producing this podcast. And I hope over the last few months, all of you have have taken time, heard me ask you that question enough times, and you did great. I'm sure a lot of you did. But that's why we talk to people like Gavin. He thinks beyond just the hunt. He thinks beyond... Um, you know, the, the, the grip and grin, the tailgate shots, the, you know, all that stuff. It's a big picture. This is a chess game and you need to be able to play chess. Don't be caught playing checkers in a chess game. All right, folks, that old South dog box is rocking back there. And we have got a hot leopard track and Gavin has read the sign and he said, it's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. So it's interesting, Panther, in our, in our, in our logic, Panther re- refers to the Black Panther. Right. So that's the melanistic <laughs> version of a leopard or a jaguar. 
Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, so we really call it a panther. I know that that uh, for you guys, the mountain lion has what about seven hundred and twenty-four different names, but there's seven hundred and twenty-three officially. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you have a panther as well. So <laughs> throw that in. But yes, yeah, yeah. The uh, the whole mountain lion thing, the the panther deal is is. Uh, course you know my buddy clay newcomb's got a lot of mileage out of the black panther thing over there on the bear grease podcast but um um yeah it's it's amazing how many people i think people just want to see them you know and we're talking about the the mountain lion the cougar the puma um that that is black and and it's just doesn't exist it doesn't exist no and and actually it's in Australia, they have the same myth. So they have a whole following around the Black Panther here. And there's Facebook sites and there's social groups. And when you go onto those, and I've met one of the guys that, that is sort of the, 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 the leader of one of these groups, a very down-to-earth, very normal person. You would never gather he would be um, a Looney Tune, but he, but, um, he runs this uh, the site, or he did run the site. They put a lot of money into going out into the bush and putting up trail cameras and trying to capture this and that. And they've done documentaries. They pump money into. But um, there's when you go into their sites, there's thousands of people that are testing to seeing these animals. My 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 parents swear up and down. They live in a remote area of southern Indiana, and they. I mean, we, we have had heated arguments about the existence of cougars in southern Indiana. And I'm just like, they don't exist. You know, it's, it'd be so rare, but it, people, people want to see it. I'll tell you a quick story. It's funny. When I was working as a conservation officer, I would, I would field a lot of these calls from people who would see the Black Panther or the cougar out there on the landscape, you know, and, and uh, I have one guy that, that, called in and I had to return the phone call and I was like, uh, so you've seen a mountain lion. Yeah, I've seen a mountain lion. I used to live in Colorado and I used to see them all the time. <laughs> and I was like, I know people that are professional outfitters in Colorado that have only for the last 30 years, they've only seen three in their lifetime. So if you see them all the time and now you're seeing one here and, uh, he told me where it was. I said, I knew exactly where he was talking about. I said, that is a yellow lab up in the, up in their yard. He's sitting right behind this house, this big yellow cat right behind their house. I said, that's a yellow lab, Labrador retriever. And he's like, are you trying to tell me I don't know what a mountain lion looks like? I said, no, I'm trying to tell you, you don't know what a Labrador looks like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the interesting pick- thing is that they haven't really picked up on the science around the possibility of melanistic animals so if you have a look in let's say western india where the highest um, recorded population of melanistic leopard are you'll find that it's like a percent of the population or less and the regularity with what they see them is so scarce and now this is in a, a native endemic population where that gene exists and the occurrence of these animals is very, very, very rare. Now, in order for them to, to, um, to reproduce, 
if you the only way you can guarantee that you're going to get a melanistic offspring is if you have two melanistic individuals right now if you have one of either side well, your chances are incredibly low so you know if you That's have a normal right. rosetted cat and a melanistic cat the chances are there but they're still really low i can't give you the actual numbers but they're low so so in order for there by lottery tickets that's it so in order for there (laughs) to be regular sightings of melanistic panthers in the united states in australia you would have to have a base population of only melanistic animals now even melanistic animals can produce rosetted standard offspring so why does nobody ever see those Exactly. Why are you only seeing the black ones? So it's really, it's just not like um, biologically possible to my understanding, at least, and I'm not a scientist, but to right, my understanding, right. it is just not biologically possible for there to be a population of black animals because that's not the only animal that was released from a zoo, escaped captivity, <laughs> um, thrown out into the world by someone who didn't want the pet anymore, you know? All these big right. cats and all their various coat patterns have been brought into the states, Australia, or you know, Europe, Russia, wherever. Um, so it's not only the black ones that escaped, guys. <laughs> That's right. And I am not cutting that out of this podcast, that part of this conversation. I'm not cutting it out. The voice that you hear on the other end is my good buddy, Gavin Lippius. And uh, uh, Gavin, you've been very busy with uh, you know making appearances on uh, i've seen a couple different places you've made appearances on podcasts and different things like that i'm glad to have you back on the houndsman xp podcast yeah it's always a pleasure to be back and thank you for this podcast i listen to it um religiously well i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean We do the best we can with what we got. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something along those lines. You know, you can't. Um, <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I wanted to catch up with you, see what's going on. I know that uh, you know, you've kind of been, I mean, it's almost like you've been marooned on an island over there in Australia since the pandemic started. Yeah, actually, even and, just uh, before that pandemic. But yes, uh, it's been several years since I've been home. Um, I think I'm slowly getting depression, but uh, oh well. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to uh, we wanted to talk about, I wanted to take a deeper dive, and it was kind of your idea. I'm going to give you the credit for it, but uh, uh, and pretty much turn the mic over to you, but but let's talk about jaguar hunting some more or i'm sorry i've been talking to some people from central america about jaguar lately lucky let's you talk man. About Jeez, would, let's talk about jaguar hunting <laughs> <laughs> we need to get my buddy josh whitaker on here i mean he's he's uh he's probably the the person that i know that that has the most ties to that and experience with that but uh um Let's talk about leopards in South Africa. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so we said we we're going to speak a bit about sort of what it's like to be a leopard hunter. I mean, what is, Absolutely. What is that? Um, what is all that about? What is all that lifestyle? Um, what does that all entail? And I think there's a lot of cross-referencing for 
for your um, your your um, recreational hunters and your professional hunters in the states. You know, your outfitters in the states. A lot of what um, what we're doing daily, weekly, monthly would um, would relate quite uh, or overlap quite um, quite parallel to what what the guys are doing there and in other places around the world as well. But um, I guess if we talk about a leopard hunter, and and we are going to focus on the hound hunter, but just to give a quick idea that it's not only hound hunters hunting leopard. I know that a lot of those that are listening to this podcast, this information is not new, and many would understand exactly what that is, but there may be some guys that just have no real concept of what it's like to hunt in Africa. So I'll try and make it you know, across the board for everybody to, to pick up on a bit of info. Um, so there's sort of, there's three kind of approaches to leopard hunting. Um, the baited hunt, and that's where no dogs are, invo- are used. And leopard is a, is a, um, um, a scavenger. So they use that as one of their, their um, feeding methods. And sorry, they had a bit of a break interruption. So leopard is um, a scavenging animal and they use that to their great advantage. Um, it's one of the few solitary cats that do scavenge and they'll take kills that don't belong to them. They'll go in and they'll, um, they'll, they'll own a kill that another cat has made or even steal it from wild dogs. Um, occasionally from hyena, you see them feeding on one side of a carcass while a predator is feeding on the other side of the carcass. So they're real opportunistic feeders. Um, and as a hunter, you can capitalize on that. You can uh, artificially lay out meat um, and uh, you can do a draw leopard in to feed on that. Now, now, you can't, in this sense, you know, specifically target an individual. That's the big um, Achilles heel to bait hunting, is that what comes in is what's coming in. Now, you don't necessarily need to pull the trigger on that animal, but, um, but that's sort of how it is. In, in really dense population areas, you might lay out, you know, just as a number for argument's sake, 10 baits. And they have 12 or 13 leopard feeding. Not all of those are going to be the cat you want to take. Um, and uh, it, it is very difficult to identify individuals. Um, you'd have to look at specific rosettes or specific chain of rosettes or specific dots just above the whiskers. Um, there's a few methods to ID individuals, but it's not simple. You need to have... Um, uh, uh, just just to refresh just to refresh our audience rosettes are what us yanks call spots right that's right yeah so we we don't <laughs> yeah. call them spots because a cheetah has spots so the cheetah right. the diurnal fast-paced hunting cat that has just round spots and then the leopard has um, rosettes and the difference between the leopard rosette and the jaguar rosette is that the leopard rosette is sort of hollow in the inside and the jaguar mm-hmm. rosette often has patches within that rosette so it's filled in within the rosette apart from other physical differences when you when you're when you're bait hunting leopards uh, 
do you have an idea of the cats that are operating in the area camera traps uh tracks yes you know that sort that that side of it yes absolutely all those things now for those that are going into an area where they've never hunted before the catch-up on that information can take a long time and in many cases they just don't have that period of time because a professional hunt might only take 14 days you know so mm -hmm. in two weeks you would never be able to know what's happening in terms of leopard in an area you might get lucky and find a specific you know bump into the specific big cat that you're after but you know how luck goes in hunting you know right so so generally it's the guys that are repetitively hunting the same area and the most successful operators are those that are are outfitting in the best leopard population areas so uh, there is there is the skill discrepancy between someone who's very experienced and someone who's novice and like in life that always exists but there's no real in my opinion there's no real like a, a bait super hunter you know there's no like super skill to bait hunting if you find it really it's not it really doesn't have to do with you know what the meat is or how specifically you present it and all that these are little fine points that that you do wax your game with you know that you do have a smooth game with but um, generally speaking if you were to find the right spot so meaning an area where leopard will be moving regularly and a male a territorial male they have scent marking posts they have uh, trees where they'll where they'll um, scratch their claws into to 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 activate their um, pedal glands so that's another um, um, scent marking mm -hmm. method um, and and if you are to find by dis Let's, discovery or I, luck I gotta... sorry go ahead no, well, I've got to I've got to visit that specific topic, sure. Gavin. So, so do leopards make scratches similar to our mountain lion, where they gather up debris, you know, things like that, and and make that, or are they making most of their scratches on trees? You know, tell us what tell us what a leopard I've, scratch looks like. I've never seen that collection mound like what. A mountain lion you know i've never seen that either you know what that mount looks like but but i but, but i understand you know through through knowing what mountain lion is sort of about no leopard don't make that um that pile and then uh, urinate on it or cover their feces under it or whatever that might be so but they what they will do is they will urinate and they'll rub their 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 hind legs through that a female so she'll she'll urinate and then she'll kick it back with her hind feet and that that spreads it and that puts the scent on her paws so she just transfers it in a further area uh, and then a male you'll find that he'll go up generally to a low-hanging branch a low-hanging tree and he'll rub sort of his orbital glands uh, over that not that that deposit is great but it's it's um, just a i think a behavioral thing and he'll rub his uh, orbital glands and the, the like the whole length of his back down that then he'll arc his tail up and he'll urinate backwards onto that bush and then he may kick back with his feet at that stage as well um, 
and and that whole area is if you're in it you know you don't even have to be there that fresh but but you know if you're there within sort of 12 hours it's a very very strong musky smell it's a very intense smell and an you old, can smell it, you can smell it with your nose easily easily yeah, yeah. and a a um a, a strong or, or a, a a large territorial male stinks like that almost all the time so so I've been behind the hounds on many occasions. Now, of course, we know the tempo of how the hounds change, and we know that they now jump the cat and they're running the cat. But I've been in situations where we've sort of been tracking, 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 and we come up to a sleeping point. So it's been like a cold trail up to a sleeping point in rocks or you know in dense vegetation, and then from there we've jumped the cat. Now, obviously, the hounds... Um, you know, indicate that we've done that, but the scent of the leopard, I can smell it. Then you smell it before they jump the cat. Probably. Pretty much where we get to the point where they've jumped the cat, I can smell the leopard, and yeah, and, that, and that's happened many times. So they're very strong smelling, mm-hmm. um, and and that's you know that um, that plays into a lot of other little conversations about withholding scent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, right. But, uh, but um, um, yes, so that, that's the way that they sent Mark. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So the amazing. orbital glands, I mean the pedal glands, the glands in the paws, when they scratch their claws, it was always said they're sharpening their claws, and there may be that to it, but really it's just another um, scent deposit method. Yeah, so they'll, they'll, they'll activate those glands in their paws, and I'll scratch that onto the trees. This is going to sound very basic and elementary and even crude comparison. But somehow through, and I was never a house cat guy ever. <laughs> but having daughters, then that was imposed upon me of having some cats around. Best learning uh, tool if you want to be a cat hunter there. And and as I watch these, we've got one cat that's in the house most of the time, and I'm constantly seeing her rub those orbital glands on the edges of tables and, and different things. And then we've got a male cat that comes in and out. He's kind of, I call him CB, which stands for crazy bastard. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he is a nutcase, but he'll be in there sharpening, you know, he'll be on those those posts. And uh, we've got some rough cut cuff cut timber in our house and he'll back up there and just like you said everybody says oh he's sharpening his claws but what you're saying is he is depositing scent activating those pedal glands Mm. Mm. is that what he's doing yep so it's another scent it's another territorial action isn't that isn't that crazy how that transfers from a leopard in south africa to a house cat in bear branch indiana well, all the solitary cats have a very similar, um, uh, can you, I suppose I can use the word ecology, a very similar set of habits. They're, they're so mm-hmm. similar. So the feral cats here in Australia present a very similar habit as what caracal do in South Africa and I'm sure lynxwood in Canada. And there's environmental differences that impact on their behaviors. There's environmental differences that impact on their size and shape and form. 
Um, mm -hmm. And and um, and then there's also that other factor of the um, uh, the, the morphing of their their size and shape and form to match their prey species. So there's yeah. there's all these different things. But yes, the base set is live solitary, meet occasionally, meet either to have a fight or to have a, a, a reproduction action and and pretty much otherwise separate. So the game plan is so similar for, for all of them. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it just the way you link those things together. And I always, I guess, as I'm moving through life here, you know, I always look for those parallels or those things, maybe not even parallels, but things that intersect in our world. And I've given my buddy Cleve Dwyer that you've probably heard on the podcast in the past about, you know, do they make scratches with their front feet or back feet? But I've watched, I've watched cats do it with their back feet. I know, you know, I've seen video of, of lions, both African and mountain lions making scratches with their back feet and things like that. But, you know, I always, I always look for those connecting events, you know, to help me understand what's going on out there. Yeah. The cat is such a um, successful predator that um, that playbook works on ev almost every continent, to my knowledge, and uh, from small to big, they just um, they just morph their size to what what prey species is available. Yeah, I've always said that. I've always said, why do we as houndsmen have such a hard time breeding the instincts we need into our hounds to be successful? When any barn cat, alley cat, whatever, they just naturally pick it up. Yeah. What? Where are we missing the mark here? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't answer that question. Hey, it's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. And you don't. It, there's no concentrated breeding there for most cats. They just know. They just. They just develop those instinctive skills. That's it. And I, I often wonder if if we don't get in the way. Well, um, a lot of times. Well, I've often referred to to one of the guys that introduced me to this about um, late tennis Porter and his concept, and I think he based a lot of this on on, on learnings out of self discovery and perhaps also out of the, out of France as well. But that that really was, I mean, I remember him saying, I can hear the words in my ears now, saying, you know, just forget about all that stuff about drags and cages, and just forget about all that. You just take them to the bush and hunt them. If they don't hunt, they don't go again. Don't, <laughs> you know, they have to have it. However, yeah. I, I have, I have just really of recent come to a different or slightly different opinion about how important nurture is, and I think mm -hmm. that's because I'm now in a position where I'm a father and raising three children, and seeing like almost on a daily basis, the more I put into them, the more they, you know, they, they grow, the more that they develop. If I was just to step aside and come into the picture, you know, for three minutes every day and rub them on their head and then that's it, I don't believe that they would, you know, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing with the hounds. Um, when you have... 30 40 hounds you cannot put that individual attention into each one of them when you have two right. or three 
something you can when you have one that's amazing and so i think nurture definitely has a major impact in this we cannot discount it but yeah you know there's I, that nature natural fact if um i don't know i don't have the answer i agree and you know we always go to the you know if the if the if the animal rights person goes to the extreme for anthropomorphism we probably go to the other extreme to discount it but you can't help but draw those parallels of things in our again it goes back to that connecting the dots in our world and we relay our relationships with our dogs with i think there's some valid points there to be made that they're the the what you just said about children and interacting with our dogs and socializing and and things like that mm. you know they're not just something that that has to live out there and when we need them we can call upon it and expect greatness out of them mm. it's and what we put into dogs. it they definitely are those dogs and they're right. just they're just pure instinct pure hunting machines mm -hmm. yeah. and then there are others that are maybe you know just doing it to please you briar creek kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter boots lights collars and tracking equipment dog boxes kennel supplies collars clothes squalors whoo they have it all briar creek kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer owner chris girth will ensure briar creek kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. Exactly. Well, let's get back to uh, let's get back to some leopard hunting in in South Africa. Yeah, so um, so baited hunting is the most common form of 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 hunting leopard, and that's and that's mainly because almost anybody can do it. So mm -hmm. you can you can get the basics of sort of what you need, what you need to do. You you very quickly learn some do's and don'ts around a campfire. You'll you'll self discover what you should or you shouldn't do, and you will have a varied amount of success just like that and um mm -hmm. and and we can we can we can even lay statistics and fact to that statement in that um, there's been studies done and this has been done by the animal rightists where they're trying to discount you know uh, uh, professional hunter proficiency and um, there was a study done where and this was based around leopard where I forget the quantity of people that were 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 in um, um, uh, what's the right word that that uh, did the survey, um, and they went through professional hunters, professional field guides, and field scientists, field biologists, and they laid out a um, a, a whole spreadsheet of images of different aged leopard, different uh, sex leopard. And you had to say, in you know, just a multiple choice questionnaire, what age you think it was, what um, sex you think it was, and it went through all mm -hmm. that. All right. And out of those three different um, uh, um, groups, uh, 
So the field biologists, the field guards, which is the photographic safari guards, and the professional hunters. The professional hunters did worse, and they only got something like an average of 30% uh, correct on, on, on that answer sheet, and the field biologists did the best. Um, sure. So, so there is a little bit of, of science behind what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. Some of my countrymen are trying to throw <laughs> stones at me from a long distance right now, but <laughs> but, but there, there is some base to to the statement. So you don't have to be incredibly proficient at baiting to be able to pull a leopard to a bait, um, mm -hmm. and then to set up a blind at a hundred yards, you sort of need to know which way the wind's going to be blowing. Exactly, and you can even manufacture it that your rifle is set up tied to a pole and there's even devices that have been punted by guys like Craig Boddington and that where it's this, uh, this really smooth um, mounted system that's on a tripod and you've got mm -hmm. flow with your rifle as you need to but you can lock it in place as well because you know the leopard yep. is going to be standing at a particular point because that's where the bait is. So, so you can... You can um, fabricate this really well provided that you know you get the right leopard on on bait um, and 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 having an understanding a true deep understanding of leopard ecology is not necessarily a prerequisite the majority of professional hunters in south africa like the average i'm saying in southern africa might do and we'll talk on average one or two leopard hunts a year, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I would probably lean more towards one. Hmm? And it might be less than that. Now, there will be outfitters that have their operation based in really uh, high-dense leopard areas. And one of their main ticket items, one of their main uh, 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 selling items off their shelf is leopard. And they're going to be doing seven or eight leopard a year. Yeah, There's nobody so that is like a single professional outfitter that is doing 20 leopard a year from a particular area. The only people that do that are the professional houndsmen. So let me draw this parallel and you tell me if this is accurate or not. And this is not to draw disparagement on, I support people hunting. Yeah, me and too. I'm not going to yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to argue about which way's harder. No, or, no. You know, this isn't an ego contest. Not at all. This is to showcase how in-depth hound hunting actually yeah. is. Because I think we get the short end of the stick a lot of times. Well, even among the uh, the broad hunting community, I will see other hunters talk about uh, fair chase and, and things like that when using hounds. So so this, this, this conversation is partially to um, dispel some of those rumors and e educate people who may have those feelings. But let me draw this parallel and you see if you tell me if you think I'm accurate. If I am proficient at hunting black bear, the American black bear over bait, stand placement, bait placement, uh, location, all of those things that take uh, all those elements that make for a prof uh, an effective hunt in that instance, could that person be effective? and have good transferable skills to hunt leopard in Africa as a, as a bait, bait site hunter. Yes. 
yes, I think that we can start to draw a lot of parallels between the black bear hunting and the leopard hunting from baits right through to hounds. There's a lot of parallels mm -hmm. there. Yes. Um, um, if you were to take a, 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 an active black bear hunter and drop him in Africa and give him a couple of seasons to find his feet, he would um, certainly be as successful as an, you know, a starting out professional hunter that's had a couple of seasons as well. Um, there are some other factors that, that do inhibit um, um, foreigners from being that successful in Africa because there's a lot of cultural understanding that you need to be able to work in that environment. But in terms yeah. of actual hunting, no, I think, I think a hunter is a hunter and you were to take that person and drop them in that environment, given that they have already this whole playbook and, and understanding of the tools, accessories and, and personal requirements, yes, a couple of seasons and they'd be as successful as mm -hmm. any other relative um, you know, African hunter. Sure. All right. So we've drawn that parallel and we've talked about bait hunting. Mm -hmm. You said there were three. What is that? I missed. So the next thing is, is you get guys that combine bait and hounds. Now mm -hmm. I, I say this because, because almost all hound hunters in Southern Africa will make use of bait at some point. And I'll get back to that when I speak about just hounds only, but bait and hounds one of the most successful professional leopard hunters, a hound hunter, will religiously and almost only put his dogs down if a cat is fed on a bait. If they come across a track, they'll track it and they'll place a bait. He will not right. put his dogs down on a track. He will want only the leopard to be fed. Now, I say this Please, no, I don't live with this, you know, this particular guy. And there's others like that. I'm just using this as a mental reference. Um, the, uh, you know, I've never, I don't, I've never lived in the man's, you know, four by four. Sure. I haven't hunted with him always. And I just know through conversation that that's pretty much mm -hmm. the gameplay. And it's a smart play if you are doing this for money, if this is your profession, because his success rate is really high. So... If we count how many times the tailgate has dropped to how many times the cat is in the tree, these numbers are up there. And when yeah. you're standing on the showroom floor at Safari Club International and there's <laughs> guys coming across and right. probably the second question that's asked all the time is, what's your success rate? Because yeah. it's, it's known that leopard hunting is very challenging and many, many guys go home skunked and it's an expensive deal. So mm -hmm. a leopard safari doesn't cost you a leopard safari, generally speaking. You probably need a factor two or three in some cases. I know some real uh, uh, reputable authors and hunters have been back, you know, four or five times before they even wow. get a leopard, and they're going with good outfits. So luck always yeah. does have a play in this as well. And remember, you know, you're not just shooting any leopard. There was a time when you were just shooting any leopard, and any leopard was, was a trophy leopard, and that made it easier because a big female on the bait you drop 10 baits, you're going to get 13 leopard. Well, none of those are going to be females, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and others are going to be sub-adult males. So, so, um, so, so it has changed. Now you are targeting just, you know, 
mature, really mature males. Um, so that's so they run they run on those bait sites in conjunction with trail cameras or camera traps. Yes, typically that. Okay. Right. Now it's not a necessity, but it's definitely a really advantageous tool to put out that camera trap because the most important factor around that is it's giving you a timestamp. It's giving you the knowledge of you can yeah. start patterning him. In tracks, you can determine that this is a good shootable male. So let's say you bet. pre any camera traps, pre that technology, you could still determine that, no, we don't want to hunt this leopard or we do want to hunt this leopard. Let's put the dogs down or let's leave them in the, in the pickup. Right. But um, with a camera trap, you can start patterning, ah, he likes to leave the bait at this time, you know. And it's not, it's not always exactly that, you know. It's not like dinner time at home is, you know, or supper time, whatever you call it, it's 7 o'clock on the dot. And if you're not there, right. you get a, a smack with a wooden spoon from mom. <laughs> but but so, so, so it's nature, you know, there's variance in this. It's not too exact time, but you get a good place. It's a, it's a ama- but it is amazing how wildlife has that internal biological clock. Yes. You know, that, that, yeah. that they use. So man, I'm hearing so many parallels to the, like you said, the bear hunter and the leopard hunter in South Africa. Hmm. We did the same thing in Wisconsin. Um, got baits we're checking cameras we're making assessments okay this this track was made by a small bear bear nine hours ago let's run and check some other baits and see if we've got a bigger bear since then and we're making you know we're making decisions based on on the information we're gathering off of of when the bear was there and off of off of trail cameras exactly right yeah so it it really it really refines your decision making and it increases your chances of success mm-hmm. because you're putting your dogs down on a fairly hot track in, in hound hunting terms. Yeah. We know the ability right. of these dogs, even a fairly hot nosed dog should have no trouble with, you know, a five, six hour track in good conditions. So, right. um, especially a large animal like a, like a leopard or like a bear. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not we're not um, really challenging their abilities that greatly. They should be able to take the track. And obviously, there's these factors. You know, the standard uh, 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 scent impacting factors. But let's just call it an average. It's not the hardest thing for the hounds. Um, the reason why bait and 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 hound combination works so well is that a lot of those operators that are running um, those leopard hunts may be doing 20, you know. If they have two operational packs, they might be doing 30 leopard hunts a year. But for the rest of the year, those dogs are hunting caracal and jackal, and jackal predominantly. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they dual, you know, purpose hounds. So when you have a bait... <clears throat> You, you're often going to pull in jackal anyway. So the way yeah. that they release the hounds on the bait is also really important because they need to get a determination of where that leopard is going. They'll do that visually. They might even assist that with some camera traps and no arati sort of leaving this way. And that's also not, it's not like he leaves the same route every time, but on the, you know, you can start to refine that too. 
And you'll just take a lead hound and let go of that lead hound, that trusted lead hound that knows this play. You know, that hound mm -hmm. knows that he's now been traveling in the vehicle for X amount of time. He's in this different environment. It's not home. It's not with the jackal crew. It's not that same repetitive <laughs> right. day. Um, he knows now we are in a leopard hunting situation. Oh, here's the leopard scent. I know this is primary. This is, but younger dogs don't necessarily know all that. And they can be, you know, they're as easily rewarded for a jackal as they are for, you know, maybe more rewarded because of the 250 days they're hunting in the year. Uh, maybe 150 of those, they're getting a pat on their head for catching the jackal. So it takes a little bit of intelligence and, and maturity and experience for the dog to understand that he can cross over. That's exactly right. And I have, I have firsthand experience on that. Hmm. You know, when I'm at home here in Indiana, you know, if, if I'm, when I take hounds out, they know that it is for a different game. Uh, it's the way I handle on them. It's it's the fact that we're in camp and they're on tieouts. Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors, and a lot of times we um, overlook the ability of these hounds and the intelligence of these hounds to pick up on those uh, environmental differences mm. of when we're doing certain things. When I go to bear camp, then you know, and I'm bear hunting in the mountains the things I'm doing with hounds are a lot different. You know, for instance, when I'm at home, dogs are in their kennels or on their tie outs, whatever. And they spend the night there. It's, it's home. They know where they're at. They know what to expect when I go and I travel and they're living out of the dog box. They're being fed. Um, it, it, it's as soon as we come back in from hunting. I mean, there's just all kinds of different little nuances well, walk within outside, the individual things that I do. Walk outside to to your truck and open the door and get in, and then walk outside your truck holding your rifle. Yes, and see the difference. they can pick up on they exactly. pick up on the different kind of clothes that I'm yeah, wearing. Yeah, put your rifle in your I, hand, and suddenly there's a massive excitement in the kennel. Do the same process Absolutely. without a rifle, and they don't exactly. pay attention to you. Yeah. So yes, they definitely and we did, pick up on it. We dismiss that, or we we overlook the ability of those hounds to figure that out. Mm. I mean, it's amazing to me. Mm. Yeah. So that so that those dogs, they're a little bit more experienced, <laughs> a little bit more, um, uh, uh, you know, mature hounds. They know what the deal is. You come mm -hmm. up to a bait tree, or you put you 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 set out that um, lead hound. He might smell some jackal, but he can smell the leopard because the scent is all around there. He's just got to find the right, the right, you know, exit, a uh, 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 line, exit path, and um, boom, the lead hound takes it. And when he's confirmed that, then they will release some more dogs to support him, and then they will follow on foot with the with the base of the pack or the the the, the remainder of the pack, which might be the majority of it. They'll follow with them on leash until they're really certain that those dogs are, the lead dogs are moving their track nicely. Then only will they release the rest of the pack. I, I have a question. I got to interject, and I sure. hate to interrupt. No, no, go, flow, ahead. go ahead. Gavin. So, have you noticed within the hounds that you use for leopard and for 
Carricut or Jackal or whatever your bush pig, whatever, do you find uh, you've got certain hounds that, yeah, running Caracal is fun, but holy cow, this is a leopard. Absolutely. And we get to run a leopard. Yes. Do you see that? Yes. Yes. And the other way around as well. You'll get hounds that um, will take the track of the leopard until it's jumped and then suddenly they're at your feet again. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't do that when it's uh, Caracal or even a small leopard put it that way right yeah so so yes you get it both ways yeah i just wanted to i just wanted to see if that was cross culture there yes yeah yeah for sure so yes i've had um, many hounds that are fairly uninterested you know when you're doing other things you know and then suddenly you put them on a nice big leopard and they that's all they want in the world they don't want any yeah they're heroin addicts that's all they want yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, bait, so go ahead. bait and hound hunting. That is, in terms of statistic um, success, in terms of return for your effort, that is the most um, that is the most sure bet. Um, however, it does detract a lot from hound hunting, in my opinion, because you start to um, take away or minimize some of that tracking skill set. You start to um, pigeonhole your dogs a little bit. You're always putting them on a nice track. So, mm -hmm. so yes. You're cherry, you're cherry picking tracks that they can be successful on. So where's the challenge? Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So personally, and, and there are other um, hound hunters like myself that, that rarely use baits and you use baits where there's no real network and you know we can only and i'll come back to this in a moment but we can only hunt leopard pretty much professionally so if you want to mm -hmm. hunt leopard you need to go get your professional hunter's license and you need to start um, offering your services out so so that's the only pathway truly to regular leopard hunting um yeah so but so um so, so where was I? So, if you just putting your dogs down on those hot tracks every time, mm -hmm. you're not really developing this mass of skill set and 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 drawing out the potential that you have in your dogs or yourself. I would say, because tracking is is the most attractive part of this game, at least to me, and there's others like me as well, that following these tracks is, is the hunt. Pulling the trigger is good. Yeah. But it's almost an anticlimax in many occasions. Now, I know that for the traveling hunter, pulling the trigger is what they came to do. Yeah. And, but for and, us. But for us, exactly. Yes. So... We secretly sit around the campfire nodding our head. Yes, let's hope we get your leopard tomorrow. But <laughs> I'm saying let's hope we don't, but let's hope we have a good track to run. <laughs> because oh, I want man, this to go yeah. on another day. And and That's they, wanted, exactly they right. want it to end and they want to move on to their next animal. So um so I, I know a I know a lot of outfitters and, and guides and things like that. And and the the clients that show up that and we used to do some outfitting stuff here, but the client that that just shows up that's just there for the experience to have a good time to experience it all 
Hmm. Every part of it, every, you know, the successes and the failures and all of that stuff, you know, if I find a track, I want to turn loose on it because I've got a young dog back here in the box. This would be the perfect yes. track for them to be on yes. right now, exactly. but it's a sub adult. So I can't because I've got the client sitting over here. Who's paying me for a trophy exactly. or, you know, yes. and so I can, I get where you're coming from. Yes. Yeah. So it's a real difficult line to walk. Um, and it's the only line to walk legally in, in Southern Africa. Right, so so that probably leads us into the into the hounds only style, and that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's driving roads, walking river lines, walking game trails from drinking holes, um, free casting through mountains, based on evidence, you know, based on 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 indicators that this is worth it. Not just taking a walk, you know, you can do that just to give them, you know, a bit of time out of the box or something. But predominantly. Mm-hmm. You're doing it with knowledge base. So you're going to walk a river line because you know that this is part of a leopard's territory. You're going to walk, you're going to drive roads that are going to be prime in that area that are prime leopard habitat. And I think I've said this previously on on a podcast with you, but leopard use um, um, 30% of their habitat, sort of 70% of their time, 30% of their territory. Uh, about 70% of the time. So mm-hmm. a, a large portion of their territory that they will scent mark and actively protect, they, are, they rarely go to. They only go to those yeah. extremes when they, um, when they uh, uh, want to scent mark an area. Um, mm-hmm. And they're continuously trying to push those boundaries as well. They want to expand their territory, which is an interesting thing. They don't get to a point where they, oh, well, that's okay for me. I'm happy with the state of my life right now. And you know, <laughs> I, I don't need another boat. I don't need another car. You know, it's, it's, it's not that. It's they, they yeah. continuously, because that creates more hunting opportunity, more success, more chance of them pulling in another female. There's all right, these. More breeding opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll quickly make a, a point here on, on a fact in that, that relays directly to conservation and a point of necessity for predator hunting is that removing those old males is, is really fundamental for population dynamic, genetic dynamic, and population um, um, growth. Because yeah. a very dominant seven, eight, nine-year-old leopard may be infertile, or he may be very reproductively poor, mm-hmm. but he will continuously grab uh, more and more land because he can. And when you remove him, you often find two males enter yeah. that territory. And they'll be younger, they'll be more vibrant. That's what you need. So removing that really old male is a conservation win on more than one front than just keeping that old leopard that's got a name and his name is Cecil, we'll call it. But exactly. <laughs> let's look after just Cecil because it, he's, he's such a pretty animal to take a picture of. And he's been in that area and he's the daddy of this one and he's the granddaddy of that one. And ah, that's all a lot of nonsense. The truth is right. nature needs that, um, it needs that turnover. Not too rapid, but it needs that turnover at the right intervals. And... Lions facilitate that. 
um, stronger, younger leopard facilitate that. But these are in like perfect scenarios. These are in perfect habitats. You can get areas where there are no lions and leopards thrive. And mm -hmm. that one dominant leopard is not really going to be getting a lot of uh, 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 challenge. So we yeah. need to interject in some of these areas. So it's a conservation one. That is such a great point, Gavin. I'm so glad you brought that up and it's probably laid out as well as anybody I've ever, I've ever heard talk on it. Um, I think we, we, as a human population, we get misguided on that topic and is just beautifully put there, you know, for, for genetic diversity, for the overall health of your species, it is good to take those mature males out of that so that, that you ensure that you have a healthy population. That was awesome. Yep. Yeah. And, um, a lot of, a lot of, um, antis and, and, and this is a rhetoric that you'll hear, especially when you get into the, I'm, I'm not talking like the Facebook antis that are just emotion based. I'm talking about those that are like a little bit more uh, uh, advanced in their game where they're trying to pull science backing arguments against hunting. And a lot of them will say that, um, you know, uh, removing those, um, those older males are detrimental to the population. But it's, there's no real science base to that, you know. Provided is of a particular age because there's something called infanticide. And that occurs mm -hmm. greater with um, social uh, cats, at least in the current data set that I'm aware of. So, mm -hmm. so African lions have a much higher um, um, uh, infanticide numbers, let's say, than what leopard would. Okay, there's this difficulty that it's more it's more challenging to study social, I mean, uh, solitary uh, cats than it is to study social cats. Because social mm -hmm. cats, there's 10 or 12 of them lying under a tree. You now you just drive right. up there. And exactly. Solitary cats are very secretive and difficult. But we have technology that helps a lot nowadays. The, um, the mountain lion would the mountain lion would qualify as a solitary cat like that as well. Yes. And I was just talking to Casey Stutzman, who um, I was talking to him this past week, and he's been conducting, he's been involved in the mountain lion studies out there with Montana for a number of years. And uh, to draw that parallel, he's found that in a very concentrated area, they have six or seven lions that are that are living in the same, you know, mountain, mountain valley area that are preying on the same herd of deer. So it, all the things that we always hear, like, uh, you know, males will kill females and they'll kill subadults and all this stuff. Well, during times of high impact, when prey and food, they can actually interact. But once that goes away, they spread back out. Yeah. They're not, they're not lying, lying around in big prides, like, like you're talking about African lions, but they do learn to uh, live together for survival purposes. Yep, yeah, it's beneficial to them. So, so a lot of those, um, a lot of those more advanced entities, they draw on a lot of, uh, uh, you know, um, science that will base their arguments. But a lot of that science is 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 gathered from like pristine areas, is gathered from mm -hmm. ecologically 
you know, fairly level, fairly pristine areas. So they're taken out of national parks and they're taken out of private reserves where, where the ratios are all pretty much what they should be. You know, mm-hmm. they're not really taken from areas where there hasn't been lions for a hundred years, you know, 80 years, or whatever. Yeah. They've been, they've been decimated in that area because cattle ranching came. But nobody could get rid of all the leopards. That's just almost impossible. Do you know what I mean? Right. So the mountain right. lion would be very similar to that. You just, you know, nobody is that good yet that you can just mm-hmm. blanket, get rid of them. We've been able to do it with wolves because they're fairly visible. You know, they, 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 they're more social. They're more, you know, there's more to, they're more diurnal. We can't do it operation. here. Yeah. You can, they did it in Western Europe. They just got rid of all the wolves. Um, we could do it with lions, African lions, and that's been done in many parts of Africa where there were lions and now they just don't exist any longer because humans did not want to cohabit with them any longer. But leopards yeah. still occur on the outskirts of cities, man. You just they, they Walking just, through the Coca-Cola plant. Exactly, yes. <laughs> like that video you sent me. Yes, yeah. And, and you see the same in India. And, um, and they mm-hmm. just... And the tiger as well, it's social and it survives much better. So a lot of that um, anti, these factors of taking that large male are based on these prime conditions. They don't factor in these other environments where different things occur. Um, yeah. So, all right. So, so, so maybe yeah, back to that. I need to get back to the topic. <laughs> Back, back. You and I, you and I can get talking about all the all the sideline stuff, and we talk a lot when we're not on the podcast. So it's easy for us to get sidetracked. But take us back to uh, to being a houndsman and a leopard hunter. Right. So when when you start to to very rarely make use of bait, and in some instances, as I mentioned, it's necessary. But when you really make instance uh, use of bait. Then you are reliant on finding tracks, finding good tracks, and finding them in a condition that the hounds can take them. So that sounds, that's easy to say. It's not easy to achieve or as easy to achieve as fabricating the environment by bringing the leopard to a bait. You now have to reel that leopard in. And in order to do that, you need to know a lot more about the leopard. You need to know a lot more about your environment. You need to have the dogs that are able to do that. And this is probably the mm-hmm. biggest factor around this. And you yourself need to have that specific type of gearing to, to run that course, to run that, that game. And, and I think that's the, the real challenge in it. Now, your success rate See, I, is I disagree, far less. But, but listening to you talk, I, I, I almost disagree with you okay. on that as far as the most important thing is having the dogs. Yeah, they're very important, but you as the professional hunter, the leopard hunter has to know what is the prime range for me to find this leopard? Um, how old is this track by, by looking at it? You know, we've talked before with your skills that you have about looking at bugs that crawl through the dirt you know, three hours before daylight and, you know, all the different factors you've got to look at, um, you know, tracking conditions. You might find the prime track of the prime species, but due to other factors, 
of, of all kinds of things, you already know that you're probably not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit as being a part of the hunt that you play such an integral part. Whereas, okay, so I'll put it like this. I don't never hunted leopard, but I think that if you put me in a spot where I could go out and, and hang up bait, I could figure out to stay downwind and, and zero a rifle and a lot of different things. And, and have a good chance of being success, uh, successful. But if you handed me your best dogs, your most seasoned, you know, go-to dogs, and said, Chris, I want you to go out here in the bush and go find a leopard. You can't use bait. You can't use any of that stuff. That is a whole different level of expertise, Gavin. It is. No, no, you're right. It is. It is. And, and we've seen that in many cases. And... um and I've been, I've been the, the inexperienced, young, um, green-between-the-ears kid that's been handed those pack of dogs and gone out and not come home with much. And I've done that, you know. And, and then mm-hmm. I've been the guy. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the most, uh, I'm not the number one leopard hunter. I'm not saying that. But I have definitely reached the point where, yes, I can go out and I can come back with a leopard when others couldn't. And um, mm-hmm. so yes, there is a difference, and that is that is experience, and it is um, it is how passionate you are about this thing. It's about how much you live it and you breathe it, and and it's just yes. a wormhole, man. You just keep going deeper <laughs> and deeper and deeper in that wormhole, and not much else exists. You know, I don't talk about yeah. well, I do now, but I, you know, I've been stranded here, but I never used to talk about much else. My wife can attest to that. (laughs) Oh, me and you both. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com, and you can find them on our website from field to field. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. They've got premium tie-outs, premium leashes. They've got the new Hiker Light leash. Uh, they've got the Loopless leash. I guess that's their new one. And uh, they're also carrying all of our Houndsman XP gear. And you can look cool with a good leash. Make sure you pick up some paws are protected. Man, I get messages all the time. I just had one today with a guy that's got uh, some issues with some cuts on a dog. And he's talking about how paws are protected really helped heal that thing up. I used it on Nutria Bites and, and where a dog got hooked by a hog a couple weeks ago. Good stuff. Don't overlook paws are protected at dogsartreed.com. Enter the promo code HXP20% off 
and you'll get 20% off your order. Check them out. Also, check out Rough Cut Company. They are putting high-quality images into high-quality digital laser engraving on a native hardwoods from their property. They grow it, they mill it, they produce it, and they give you a great product at the end. Take those memorable moments that you capture out there while you're hunting with your family, with your friends, and get them transferred over to something that's stylish that you will be proud to display in your home. And at checkout, enter the code HXP 10% off, and you'll get 10% off your order at Rough Cut Company. Check them out, too. Yeah. My wife's like, oh, more hound stuff, more hound stuff, yeah. more hound stuff. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I get it. I get the obsession. I get mm. the obsession. But, I mean, just think about how intricate that has to be. You have to know, you have to know leopard ecology. You need to know breeding habits. You need to know home ranges. You need to know, and, and I've picked up some of this uh, same expertise when I've talked to Cleve Dwyer, when he's been on the podcast and talked about, you know, certain times of the year, the deer congregate in this area because they're feeding on this plant species and they've got water in this area. And, you know, just so many intricate mm. parts mm. where it, it's, it's just in depth. It's yeah. just in depth and nobody can dismiss it. If we break it down to its individual parts and then we add the element of a hound, which we are forced to not force. That's probably a poor choice of words, but we, we rely on those hounds to develop those skills and nurture those skills and breed for those skills and all the different things. Why anybody would be able to dismiss the overall um, in-depth investment that houndsmen make to catch game is beyond me. Yes. I can't, I, I, it, it doesn't make sense to yes, me. Yes, yes. And, and I don't know how this has, in our hunting world, become the sideline thing. I don't know how it has That's not been more recognized of what, a, what an art this is. You know, and I don't say this like we must all tap ourselves on the shoulder. I say this just because it it is, you know, it is. There's so much you need to know and do and have experienced and gathered and remembered oh and play out. It's not it's not a simple deal, yeah. No, hmm. no, and and it just it used to drive me crazy when I'd see other hunters say, "Well, I'd never have any desire to to chase bear or lion or in your case leopard." with hounds because it's not fair chase yeah. <laughs> holy smoke yeah. Let the, how much time have you got please yeah, come no. over to my you know let's sit around the fire she's you more polite than me i'm me. looking for a bat at that stage <laughs> <laughs> uh i probably am too i'm just being nice because we're on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you see this is the next factor and this has been laid on us as well is that we always have to uh, uh like argue our case as well why are we always arguing our case why? Why didn't we? we put that to bed? This has been going on since how many hundreds of years has this been going? Uh, we still need to be Thousands. arguing this point. Yeah, exactly. Thousands of years. Yes. The earliest, the earliest documented uh, uh, recordings of honey showed man with a dog, and since then we have 
advanced our uh, civilization. We've advanced our weaponry. We've advanced our techniques. We've advanced our transportation, all these other things. But that caveman was hunting with a dog to begin with, mm. you know? So if it's not fair chase was, was the caveman not mm. participating in fair yeah, chase I mean, at that point? I mean, what is it? Yeah. Give me, a, who's got the unfair give me a piece of rod that I can sharpen the edge to make a spear long enough and give me a few good dogs and I'll come home with a leopard. Yeah. I might long have, enough is long yes, enough. Long is enough the key, exactly. key word right there. <laughs> but, um, you know, everyone else, you need a rifle, man. Yeah. So take yeah. away that technology and where you, but anyway, anyway, that's another. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so what are some of the biggest, cha- what are some of the biggest challenges you face as a houndsman and a leopard hunter, aside from convincing other people that it's okay? Hmm. Yes. Um, all right. So, so access to leopard is probably the most challenging. And mm-hmm. in order to be able to have, to, to be running this thing well, to be doing it properly, you want to be hunting 150 to 200 days a year. Okay. To be sincere, if you really do this right, you can't get away with much less than that. Um, mm-hmm. you, can, you can do it for your own pleasure and enjoyment, absolutely. And if you went out 30 days a year, and had a great time doing it, wonderful. But if you wanted to, to, to master this, you'd be needing to do that kind of quantity of hours for many years in a row, or at least, you know, many years. And, 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 and how do you, do you have roadblocks in that, Gavin, yes. as far as governmental roadblocks and yes. regulations and things like that? Yes. So the leopard is that iconic species worldwide uh, uh, um, um, loved and cared about and mm-hmm. it's not so easy just to get access to go and hunt a leopard now illegally you you can get a few gaps through where you might go and take care of a leopard on a on a farmer's property and he just is not really worried about the rules and regulations this is right. doing damage to his business his livelihood and he wants it gone. He doesn't know how to do it. He heard that you know how to do it. Will you come and do this and I'll cover the diesel in your truck? So there, mm-hmm. that, that occurs. Um, but if you, if you want to do this professionally, properly, and stay out of jail, then you follow a permitted system. So every right. leopard that is hunted, even if you not take it, in the process of hunting it, you need to have a permit in your pocket. And mm-hmm. that permit comes in two forms. That comes in a, a CITES harvest export permit, or it comes in the form of a depredation permit, which is issued by whatever regional you know, authority you're working under. Um, so that's the biggest roadblock. Now, in order to be able to get access to those permits, you can't buy them you know, unless you won the lotto and you decided you just want to hunt leopard for the next 15 years, then you could buy mm-hmm. them. But they go at a fair price because it's a valuable commodity in the trophy hunting world. And even even farmers that have this leopard that's taking out their prize game or their cattle or their sheep or whatever it is, 
they'll think twice about calling that guy just to come do it for a, a, a truck, you know, a tank full of diesel. If he can sell that to an outfitter, which will have a paying client, which will give him five, eight, seven, ten thousand US, whatever it mm -hmm. does. So there, there's a there's a great value on leopard there. So so getting the permits um, is primary, but they're also limited in the quantity that each country gets, and that's limited by CITES, that's International Convention Trade of um, Endangered Species, and they will um, issue quota for each different country. So, for instance, South Africa, I think it was 150, uh, it could be less now, Zimbabwe's was 500, I think it's 350 now, it might be back up to 500. So I, I really haven't checked up on that very recently, but it's, it's an easy, it's an easy uh, uh, um, data to find. But, um, so that's limiting what permits can be issued. Now, for conservation purposes, that's not just a blanket thing. So you get 150 leopard around the country, now you can go anywhere you want. And if you shoot a leopard that comes off the quota, they are refined again to different areas. So some areas hold a lot of leopard, other areas hold less leopard. So you can't just uh, be hunting and uh, deteriorating a population in a specific area year after year after year. So some areas, you know, have to have permits issued to them, which might be a little bit more um, marginal. Um, Typically, we find that that's when the hound hunters get called in, when it's um, when it's a bit more of a marginal area because that excludes the bait hunting guys. They find that those marginal areas, the leopard have been persecuted for a period of time, and they may become uh, aware of baits, and the baits are, 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 are a learning point for leopard, where. If a female comes onto a bait and she's maybe poisoned slightly and survives it, she'll teach all of her cubs that uh, this is a, a hazard situation and then those cubs don't necessarily ever want to come to a bait again, a presented bait. Or it could be that uh, a, a leopard comes into a bait, a good male, he comes into a bait and is shot at and missed and now he's learned that that's a hazard scenario and then a few of those cues around that mean that he'll never want to come into that bait again. Um, and they learn very quickly. They have to learn very quickly to be able to survive. They, they have to experience something once, and then they will be aware of it. They don't have to have a uh, repetition. Um, so, so permits are, are, the, are, are the major um, roadblock to free leopard hunting, um, specifically for a houndsman. So you need to be able to partner with different outfits. And partnering with outfits means that they have to be pro-hound, and many of those outfits are not pro-hound um, around Southern Africa, and they're not pro-hound because they um, find that in some cases uh, a challenge to their business model because you could be more successful than their baited hunt. They're in the same position where where uh, they get a certain quota of permits and let's say they're on a fairly large property in fairly good um, leopard hunting habitat they might only be getting three or four leopard permits you know one particular mm -hmm. outfitter now if he can sell those hunts twice over each of them 
that that's a good business model. And he almost has to do that to make it worth its while. If he was to sell each permit just one time and have a 100% success rate, he'd be only getting four hunters in a year when he could be getting eight hunters in a year. And those, um, those four hunters will then also only accumulate the other game they hunt, whereas eight hunters will be doubling up on that. So instead of you selling uh, four kudu, extra kudu or four extra buffalo or whatever it might be on your leopard mm -hmm. hunt, if you have a 50% success rate, you're selling eight buffalo and eight kudu. So the business model for the bait hunting is much better than a business model for a hound hunt, which has statistically a higher success rate. So you have um, outfitter pushback in many cases. So you need to partner with guys, and typically those outfits are in, are in marginal areas, or they found that by having a hound pack as part of their 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 sales um, model or their 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 sales options, that they're drawing in other interests, they're drawing in further clients then some have seen that as a benefit to their business model as well. So they can be in slightly marginal areas where they're not getting the best trophy quality, they're not getting the most um, success rate, and their leopard hunting, although leopards are there and they might be getting a fair quota, um, they're not ching-chinging on that because it's just not possible. But to bring in a hound pack um, does better for them. And, wow. uh, and, and, then, and then referral, which is very important, that's about the primary um, advertisement or advertisement um, method in the hunting industry is word of mouth. If you have good reference, then, then, then you will have much greater success. So, so there's a few different angles that those outfitters go at approaching hound hunts. And I've stepped in camps where where I've sat down the first night around the campsite and with the owner of the, the concession and he sort of said straight out to me across the fire, um, I don't like hound hunting, I don't believe in it. And if I could vote against it, I would vote against it. No and kid. We, and we could ban this from our, from our, our hunting uh, uh, world, um, but you're here because the client asked for it. And and I've been no in, kidding. Yes, yeah, so 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 we are seen in many of these situations as a a non necessity as a and 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 I can understand that from 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 their point of view because they they are they are business people they are making a living in the hunting industry and they have to make the best choices that are going to see their, their cash flow sustain or improve year on year. Uh, and they need to be forward thinkers and they need to be responsive to what's happening in the general environment and globally. And they have to understand on what cards to play to see this through the long term. Because a lot of these guys are in it and they've invested in it. And their presence in those areas is paramount because they, they're saving those areas. They are protecting those areas from mining, agriculture, right. home development, uh, whatever it might be, you know, mm -hmm. poaching. So, so Timber. They, exactly. So, so they're, they're really, really important people in, in the conservation uh, uh, playground. Um, 
so you know hound hunting to them is sort of like well you know you know we don't really need this i can still get a leopard without these dogs and and I've, in many cases that's true but not in all cases i've known outfitting businesses here in the u.s that have operated in the same vein hmm. uh you know they they don't particularly keep a hound they they will offer hound hunts but they will subcontract that work out yes uh you know it's it's just an additional thing that they have to do to stay competitive or uh have that added income you know at the end of the year yep and but i know most of the outfitters that i know and some of the best houndsmen i know uh are outfitters that that keep hounds as well um yeah i'm pretty sure that's that's how it's going to wind up in Africa as well, is that you will get a few guys that will be moving around here and there. And um, it's not a business model that you can that you can sustain. So uh, I suppose that falls into the next line of what's the obstacle. Well, the obstacle to be a, a, a continuous hound, leopard hound hunter um, mm-hmm. is, is a financial. And that is that you have to be able to run that business model considering that you're away from home 200 days a year mm-hmm. and your primary like your real primary income source is from those hunts um, and it's a fairly tight deal so it the, the money is better than what i understand to be in for the mountain lion hunters or the bear right. hunters that are running those operations who might be selling and, and I don't know this with specifics, but they might be selling their whole package for $7,000, you know, all included. I don't mm-hmm. know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Update me on those prices. That's pretty close. But yeah. we, would, we would charge for our hound work that same money, and that's it. So I come into that uh, area. Um, I've been contracted to do the leopard portion of the hunt, and the guy might be there for a big game safari. He might be doing elephant uh, and leopard. He might be doing buffalo leopard, or he might be doing mm-hmm. leopard and plains game. But it's not just the leopard. And so I'll come in and I'll and I'll subcontract for that period of the leopard hunt. And if I and it's normally ten days, you know, and and I may charge anywhere between four and seven thousand dollars, depending on how far we got to travel and and where we got to go and what risks we have to go by you know sometimes we're going into areas where there's marginal or or, or fringe line civil war um right and and i've been that i've been in places where we have to overnight in a camp because we can't travel along the roads because there's there's military action there's um you know there's there's there's, there's wow. uh, artillery fire on yeah. a public road because the, uh, the 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 um, government troops are attacking the rebel forces. So we've had to hold up in a camp and wait until that passes, and then travel that road the next day and see the shelled vehicles, you know, on the side of the road because there was a an attempt on a leader, or you know. So, wow. So there are these different risk factors that we have to add um, mm-hmm. um, um, value to it. So anywhere sort of between four and seven. And um, but it would just be the handwork. So we could be there, um, and and in some areas you can be lucky. In some areas that I know really well, I know it's a three-day deal for me. So that's good. Yeah. You know, three yeah. days <laughs> I'm in and I'm out, and I go home with seven grand in in my pocket. 
Those are the deals you like. Yes, all right. So yeah, but when you level that, but out, that gives you that, that could you, also give you seven more days to to go out and look for those tracks to work your pack on. Well, you need to have the permit. So yes, you can. Oh, you yeah. can, you can. Um, but very, very specifically, and look, there's not like real game wardens and and game management officials out in these areas. A lot of these are self-managed. But the ethical code of most of the outfitters that I've worked with in this 20-year period is quite strong. And, and wow. they self-manage them. Good point. That, that there's an integrity in this that, look, that is the wrong thing. We don't want mm -hmm. to do the wrong thing because, right. because of our integrity. We respect yeah. this game, we respect this industry, we respect nature, that these are the parameters and we're going to try and work within that as well as possible. And I don't say that like out of a, uh, you know, like a praise or something. That's just really how it is. There's mm -hmm. a great integrity in, in, the, in, the, in the hunting environment. Of course, <laughs> there's the guys that don't care. And a lot of right. those are fly-by-nights. They come in, they go. Um, mm -hmm. But the real steadfasts, they do it on a concrete foundation, and, and that gets passed down generation to generation, and it becomes the norm of operation. Um, so, so yes, technically, if the leopard is down, you could go and spend another seven days training, but it's not like a comfortable conversation to have because you're effectively sure. saying, may I go do something illegal on your property? Right. Hence the right. reason to try and get the leopard as late as possible, <laughs> as early as possible. <laughs> but you're walking this double-edged sword now. So because if you can get this one done in three days, means you can leave camp and move on to the next one and get the next sure. one done in three days. That's great. Now you're catching there time. There you go. That, and now you're, you're, catching you're time, thinking big picture. Yes. So instead of squeezing three in a month, you're squeezing four in a month. Now you've just mm -hmm. added another $5,000 to your... Um, to your monthly income. So these are the kind of things you're chasing to do. You have a limited time period to make as much money as you can because the time outside of that, you know, it's difficult to have another business or employment that allows you to be away from, from it for 200 days a year. Sure. And, that, and so that's, that's the greatest restraint. And especially when you start to get a family, um, unless... You have another base, like perhaps um, there's a base farming business, you know, and mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to be there 200 days a year. Your wife, your brother-in-law, your partner, whatever it is, they're managing that while, while you're gone. Um, or, you know, there's other guys where their wives are, are professionals. They might be, mm -hmm. you know, veterinarians or whatever it may be. So their, right. their, their, their base income is like the bread and the butter throughout the year. And what I wish I'd have married a pharmacist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not too late, man. It's not too late. Eh? <laughs> it is for me, buddy. The, the best way is just to, to walk in with a cough in each one and see who responds, you know, <laughs> cough deep and hard and see what. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> so um, the, the, um, the financial uh, uh, constraint is another uh, difficulty. So to balance that, to be able to 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 make a decent living and 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 fulfil your obligations as uh, 
a husband, a father, uh, you know, if you're single, it's pretty easy. Um, but as soon as yeah. you start taking on the other responsibilities, then that does get a little bit. So a lot of guys also, what they've done is that they've then just um, moved more into the outfitting business. So they'll, they'll start to offer a lot of the other hunts and that'll be their base, um, you know, or stable income. And then the hound hunts just add on to that. And that's about the best template to do this on. But it does also move your focus then, because then you're hunting everything, and occasionally you're hunting your hounds. Yeah, for sure. Because your downtime, sure. when you when you when you just focus on leopard, your downtime you might not be in that territory, but you may go into another, or you may return mm -hmm. into a, a home base, and you'll be working your dogs. Right. Yeah, so, right. so there is a difference there. And, and I think that's the next factor that we can probably talk about here, and that is that that's one of the massive benefits of being that, that, um, that uh, traveling hound hunter, that guy that's subcontracting the dogs to the different outfits, is that you see such a varied um, landscape, habitat. You go to so many different countries. You're in so many different camps. You're hunting coastal rainforest, then you're hunting, you know, a high elevation, then you're hunting semi-arid areas. You see right. so much and your dogs see so much as well. Um, so that then puts this other uh, layer of, of experience onto this whole thing. And, and that's really, really superb. That's, that's the wonderful thing is, is there's no greater feeling than, than, going into an area, having success in a few days, shaking everybody's hand, loading up your dogs. Everyone was happy to have you right. there, um, you know, and they're happy to have you back. And uh, then you move over into the next place and you travel for maybe two days, you know, and, uh -huh. and there's that whole adventure in that period. And then you arrive at the next camp and then it's, you know, it's the next discovery. It's the next learning process. It's the next conversations of, you know, let's start to absorb all this information of what do leopard do in this area. And then wow. if you're successful in that area, man, you know, and so, so this is, it is hunting pure. It is just hunting pure. See, I, my problem is I'm a romantic Gavin. Mm. And when you start talking about that, I think about how adventurous and how, you know, romantic that, that, how you lay it out in such a romantic way um idealistic and uh, it just it sounds like you've got you live you've lived an amazing life and it's like um you should write a book and i hope you do write a book someday well but i still I, got you know, a lot to add you, to it so. <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's what i've said too people have said you ought to write a book and i was like i'm not done yet yes, I, I can't write go. all the chapters yeah, yet yeah but uh um you know when i think about that you know I, i've been in some of those camps where guys show up that you don't know and they've got a truck full of hounds and it's like it's there's a mystique around it if you're there for uh Gimsbach or whatever and and a houndsman pulls in it's like it's kind of a it's kind of a uh unique thing it's yes, a it is it, and, and so people have questions and yes. and they want to know and and i asked i asked um 
another buddy of mine that's an outfitter. He, he outfits for multiple game, but he keeps hounds. And I asked him uh, how it is when he has an elk hunter or a sheep hunter or a deer hunter, an antelope hunter, and they see the hounds. What's your reaction to that? And, and he said, man, people are intrigued. Mm. They want to know what's going on. Mm. It's, you know, here comes Gavin and his, and his truck full of hounds into camp. It's like, what's this dude doing here? What's his story? There's few hunters that don't have an immediate connection to the dogs. There's few. I've come across few that don't want to come up and rub their ears and, yeah. you know, and talk to them. And then they, I mean, they're sort of interested in you, but you, you know, just another human. They say, hey, look yeah. at these, what are these dogs? Where are these? Wait, yeah, there's lots of questions. Right. Yeah. So, right. yes, it, it is, a, it is a, a, a unique thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you got anything else we need to, uh, we could talk for hours, Gav, and we always do whenever we get talking, we talk for a long time and, and, uh, but there's no doubt you're going to be back on the Houndsman XP podcast. And I, I, I want to save some of it for future episodes, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, your, your story and you're such a great person to have a conversation with because you just i don't know how you do it I, like i get distracted and go down rabbit paths and you bring me back which is supposed to be my job usually so i appreciate you yeah man uh, it's always a pleasure to come on and and it's a good friendship and uh and and thank you i value it yeah yeah next time we just need to tell get together and tell some stories from the bush probably and mm. and tell some hair raising stories uh, there's lots of those <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm talking about challenges of being a leopard hunter, and you're talking about environment stuff, and you're out there hunting stuff that's going to eat you if it gets a chance, you know? Mm, yeah. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. <laughs> well, Gavin, I appreciate your time, man. And uh, uh, let's get together and talk again soon. And, and uh, until next time, you follow your hands, I'll follow mine. Thanks, Chris. You too.